is Jeppy too new to trust? I'm Jason Kelly, and this is Your Investing Questions Answered by Jason Kelly. If you'd like to record a question to be answered on a future episode, please leave a message at 303-747-4428. Sunil in Jacksonville, Florida, had more questions about JEPI, that's the J.P. Morgan Equity Premium Income ETF, which I compared with QYLD and other income ETFs in my February 15th episode. Here is Sunil's voicemail recording. There has been a lot of buzz on the ETF JEPI, and I have a couple of questions. Can you please help me understand them? My first one is, how is it better or worse than compared to other similar ETFs such as QYLD? And my second question is, JEPI is relatively new ETF, so like to know, do you think we can derive its historic stock price uh, to be able to compare with its peers? Thank you so much. For the first question, please listen to my February 15th episode, which is all about how JEPI compares with QILD and other income ETFs. The title of that episode is Income ETFs, JEPI versus NUSI, QILD, and RYLD thus exactly what you're looking for. A quick recap here is that JEPI is designed to be less volatile than the S&P 500. It's an actively managed defensive equity fund that also runs a covered call operation or or layer on top of the, the other fund operation, which is owning stocks. It's supposed to move less than its index. It's not doing anything wrong when it rises less and falls less than the S&P 500. It's doing what's written on its label. For my plans, I want price movement, volatility in their growth and income funds because they run a quarterly rebalancing program. And for rebalancing, it's good to have prices moving around, maybe not together because that doesn't help you take advantage of relative strength and weakness, but you do want volatility. And in that kind of scheme, lower prices can be useful. In a year like 2022, when everything went down, there's minimal benefit, but most years aren't like 2022, and anybody investing as if they are will learn that the hard way. In fact, that's already happening. Year to date through March 3rd, that's last Friday, Jeppy's price has fallen 0.8% compared with a 4.6% gain for QILD. If you're planning to park money in one of these covered call ETFs for an extended period and want to minimize volatility, then JEPI is a good choice. If you're looking for more aggressive income and don't mind more volatility, or better yet, are running a plan like my income SIG that uses volatility in a rebalancing scheme, then QYLD or a different aggressive type income fund would be better. As for whether we have enough historical data on JEPI to trust it, I think so. Income ETFs are going through lots of innovation recently, with many new funds trying different techniques. JEPI is among these, writing out-of-the-money S&P 500 index call options to generate that monthly income that makes it appealing to people. There's nothing particularly exotic about this. Writing, Writing options is more complicated than many investors want to manage on their own, but that's why it could be worth paying JEPI to do it for you. 
Call options are a good way to generate income, and the team running Jeppy knows how to do it. And I should mention that, that track records are different depending on the type of fund we're talking about. Well, before that, just I'll point out, Jeppy began operations on May 20th of 2020. We're coming up on three years of data, which already show us a reasonable amount of price volatility in 33 straight months of distributions. In my view, that's enough time to see it doing what it's trying to do and over a sufficiently volatile time frame. If, if nothing had all, at all had happened during those few years, then we might say, well, we need to wait to see how it does in stormier waters. But it's been plenty stormy to see that the fund, the fund knows how to do what it's supposed to do. And that brings me back to what I was talking about earlier, which is track records differ in their importance depending on the nature of the fund. I favor index funds and, and, and funds that follow straight formulas. So we, we can look on paper at what the fund's planning to do. And we can look back in time over past market behavior and see if that, that algorithm, that, that basic scheme for what the fund is going to do, would have been fine in the past and, and accept that, okay, well, if that's what it's going to do and the market's going to keep behaving the way it's always behaved, then this should be just fine. And I think that's a prudent, reasonable way to project forward without having to wait five or ten years to see if the fund works. That's too long. People don't have forever to wait around to see if something works, especially if by the time they see it does work, something new has come along that might be even better. I actually find myself in a situation similar to that. QILD, which has more than a decade of data, is, is working just fine for me, but I'm considering whether a new fund called SVOL, S-V-O-L, a, uh, from, from Simple, a, a, volatility, um, a volatility option writing fund, which seems to generate more income than, than some of the other covered call option funds, by using not a stock index, but by using the movement of the VIX, the CBOE volatility index, I'm I'm thinking that that might be a, a better mousetrap. Actually, that, that might be a better way for these funds to generate an income. But it it's it doesn't even have two years worth of data yet. So does that mean we can, we can't use it yet? We have to wait for the three or five year mark before we can we can can put this to work. I don't think so because we we see that it knows how to generate vol uh, income from volatility. But, but in this in this episode, I, I'm not talking about SVOL. That'll be for a different episode when I've researched it more. What, what I'm pointing out now is that we have a, a number of income ETFs that haven't been around very long, but are running plans with professional teams that are, are built on past market data that's not just the judgment of some guy. That's what actively managed funds used to bring. Almost always man, that's why I say some guy. But anyway, a manager in charge of, of picking and choosing stocks in that fund. And for that type of fund where you're, you're going to bet on the judgment of somebody, you probably do want a longer track record to just know, does this manager handle the ups and downs of the market in a way that, that I'm comfortable with? If, if they go down harder when the market goes down, some people actually want that because that means they come back bigger. So you want such a fund, that you, you, you want to find a fund that behaves that way because you want to be able to trust the manager to take advantage of deep dips in the market to come back strong and you might move more money in during that, that deep dip period. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of active management. Frankly, nobody who studies data should be. 
indexes run circles around active managers in almost all cases, but people love to search for that one hero that might be the one who, who really does better than the market over time. And there have been a few, very few. It's a low odds business, but, but let's say you are looking for that. You wanna find the superstar stock picker and you wanna believe that that superstar stock picker can keep doing what they're doing. In that case, you might want a longer time frame. You might want to know, how did they handle the dot-com crash? How did they handle subprime? How did they handle various things we've seen in the past to give you confidence that they'll be able to handle whatever curveballs come next? And you know they will. But even there, how useful is the track record? Okay, fine. The manager handled the dot-com crash fine, the subprime mortgage crash fine, the, the taper tantrum fine, etc., the COVID crash, and so on. Does that tell you how they're going to handle the next crisis? No, actually it doesn't. And that's the problem with track records, that the, the past is not indicative of the future, right? So ask yourself, if Jeppy had a decade of data, would you trust it more? Probably not much, simply because past results are not indicative of future ones. You don't need all that much of a time frame to see whether a technique is working or not. And it seems that Jeppy's is. Now, I, so here we go. If, if, if a, a new manager, let's say fresh out of business school, had just started a fund, and let's say they'd done pretty well for two years, would you be pouring money into that fund? You, you might by looking at the portfolio and seeing, seeing a, a, a view of markets that matches yours, and you want to jump into that. So you might. But I would say in most cases, you'd say, eh, this person's green behind the ears. Let, let's give them a few more years. Let, let's put them through the school of hard, hard knocks, a few more semesters here before we're willing to say that they, they've got what it takes to succeed, right? But when you're talking about a formula, when you're talking about writing options, with this, it's basically a spreadsheet exercise on, on, on market behavior that hasn't changed much in 50-some in years. You really don't need all that much of a real-world time frame to see that the back testing is going to keep... The, the back testing has, has produced something that's going to keep doing what it did in the back testing. So that's what I'm pointing out here. Indexes, formulaic techniques don't need as, as much of a real-world track record to instill confidence as a stock picker's instinct requires. So based on that, I'm willing to give Jeppy the benefit of the doubt. If, if it's the kind of fund you're looking for, a, a, a less-than-market volatility fund that produces reliable income on a monthly basis, then, then go for it. I, I mean, I, I don't know how many years or, or half decades or decades of data you need to understand that this works, and I'm not sure what you're going to do with your money in the meantime. So if it looks to you that Jeppy has behaved fine in the last few years and, and is the kind of thing you're looking for, then I wouldn't let the short, the short track record dissuade you from trying it out. Do I think it's the best income fund? No, I don't. Not for what I'm doing, but that doesn't mean it might not be good for somebody else, and I don't think that short track record is any reason to, to put a red X through it. Thank you for listening. This is Your Investing Questions Answered by Jason Kelly. To record a question for a future episode, please call 303-747-4428. You can subscribe to the podcast from any of the links at jasonkelly.com to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms. And please don't forget to subscribe to The Kelly Letter, my weekly investment advisory. Prices are still low, but a recovery is taking shape. Please become a subscriber today at jasonkelly.com to start your own market-beating SIG plans, including my income SIG plan, the one that I mentioned in this episode. 
Current subscribers, thank you, as always, for doing business with me. I'll see you Sunday.